Well, it's a real blessing to be here this morning, genuinely so. On Prison Sunday, preaching here in the heart of London in this wonderful church. And the text for the whole of Prisons Week is that, those verses from Hebrews. And that's what I'm going to say a few words on this morning. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us there in our time of need. Those are wonderful, wonderful words that in many ways sum up our faith. What a wonderful thing that God loves us so much that Christ his son came to die for you and for me. Despite everything, despite all that we are and all that we've done, he came for you and me and for everyone on the cross, God demonstrating his love for us in the most unbelievable way. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, says Paul in Ephesians. It is not your own doing, but a gift from God. What a gift that is for each one of us. What a privilege that we're saved by a God who loves us despite what we are. But with that great, great gift comes two things. It's a great comfort. It's a great comfort to know that God loves us so much that he saves us in this way. But it's also a challenge. A challenge, a choice for us to respond as was set out in our gospel reading. And we often find that challenge ourselves, if we're honest, really, really difficult. And society as a whole absolutely finds it difficult not to condemn when people do things wrong. It's much easier to condemn, and even for us who know that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for that's what we know of ourselves. Even for us, if we're honest, do we not also look at others and think, actually, we may have done that, but what they've done is just beyond the pale. That's much, much worse. It's much easier to condemn, and there are some horrible things that people do, and you think, how can they do that? What evil is there? All of us, if we're honest, can find it on, at times easier to condemn than to forgive. But our gospel talks of a grace that's open for all, sufficient for all. And that's the crux of that text in Hebrews. And we shouldn't ever forget that when people do bad things, people are hurt, there is pain, there is dreadful awful pain. I've met with many, many victims of serious crime and see and understand to some degree, though you can never understand unless you've been through it, the pain that people feel. And yet, throughout all of that, there is a broader point 
that we have as Christians? How do we respond? We don't not recognize when people do wrong. We must do that. God does that. Punishment in our society is necessary, in my view, for things that go wrong, to hold up society's rules. But the question is, what do we do when people have broken those rules? How do we respond? How do we do more than just condemn? Prisons were always designed to separate people who'd upset society's rules. The French talked about obelettes. The very word means to forget. To forget. Prisons were designed in the Victorian ages. First prison I worked at, Leeds, called Leeds Castle, designed to be intimidating to deter people from going. And then when people are behind the bars, you forget about them. But they come out, actually. The vast, vast majority come out and live around us. The people who go to prison are not different from you and I. They are you and I, having made bad choices. When I started as a prison officer 35 years ago, in the year I, the first year as a prison officer, I locked up five lads I was at school with. One in three men in their 30s, one in three men have been convicted of a criminal offence. A non-motoring offence. A non-motoring offence. Now, the vast majority are relatively minor and they end up with cautions or words, but they don't go to prison. The vast, vast majority don't. And they go on and lead good lives. But one in three. Women are much better behaved, I have to say. We only have 5,000 women out of the 85,000 people in prison. But nevertheless, women too can make bad choices. And so the question that we must ask ourselves as Christians is how do we respond to that? And it's more than just a theoretical question. It's a very real question about how we respond to bad things that happen. We can't forget. John Wesley said in his notes, verse 36, prisoners need to be visited above all others as they are commonly solitary and forsaken by the rest of the world. Well, there's a good truth in that still today. Why is it that most people do not want to know really what's going on in jails? The only time we really hit the headlines, well, we hit the headlines a lot actually, but it's normally when things ain't good. There are bad stories. As one of my colleagues once said, um, good prison has quiet day is never going to be a frontline headline on the daily whatever. But the fact is that we can't afford to forget about people if we're true to our Christian values, and if society actually wants to stop pain and hurt. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, said the thing that I've always held most closely in terms of my own thinking about this. No one, as he said, a criminal and nothing else. No one is a criminal and nothing else. That's so true. We have all done things we would wish we hadn't, some people do terrible things, but no one is a criminal and nothing else. And Jesus, time and again, we know in the Gospels, associated with all those people who society had rejected, the woman caught in adultery, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, and even there on the cross, what does he say to the prisoner, rightly 
in one sense, condemned and punished at the time, I promise you that today you will be in paradise with me when he repents and accepts Jesus on the cross. Whatever we've done, large or small, God's grace is great enough for us. It's a comfort, but it's a challenge to us in how we respond personally and how we respond to others who've done things that are wrong and end up in prison or under some form of community service. It's a challenge of discipleship, how we respond. And that, of course, is the whole issue that's set out in that parable of the goats and the sheep, the astonishment from those who are separated. And they say, well, we don't understand. When did we not do these things? When did we not do them? When you didn't do them to these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you didn't do them for me. I mentioned that when I started as a prison officer, I'd worked previously in um, a homeless shelter, St. George's Crypt in Leeds. I'm still working a bit in a homeless shelter, involved with it at Whitechapel. Um, the man who created that homeless shelter, St. George's Crypt, was a minister called Don Robbins. And he did that in the 1930s. And he did it at that time of really difficult social um, depression. Lots of people with no work, lots of people really starving on the breadline. He set up that crypt and somebody said it grew and it was a fantastic outreach work. And somebody said to him, how effective is it at bringing people to Jesus? And Robin said, well, effective enough, but that's not its primary role. It's not there in order simply to bring people to Jesus. It's not there to save people. It's there because our lives have been saved. It's there because it's serving need. And as Christians, we all have to serve that need. It requires us to respond to God's grace in the way that we respond to others to demonstrate his love even where it's really hard to do so and that's very true for those who end up in prisons that we as a society and as Christians who influence that society have got to believe that whilst punishment's right God doesn't give up on people and neither must we so I'm pleased that our prison and probation service, our mission statement is preventing victims by changing lives. I'm proud that that is something that we, throughout the organization, can talk about openly because changing lives is open for people. We've got to deliver the sentence of the court. You can't work in a service and not recognize that one of the hard things you have to do is take someone who's committed a crime and prevent them from doing things, locking them into cells. Someone said the other day, when I want, we have a whole, um, a whole strand of work talking about how we develop rehabilitative cultures and said, you can't use the word locking up. And I said, that's just silly. We do lock people up. You have to be honest about what we do. It's how you do it and what you treat people like that really matters. So we have a responsibility to deliver the sentence of the court. And the sentencing has 
Five principles. It has punishment as a principle, deterrence as a principle, public protection as a principle, reparation, paying back to society as a principle, and it has rehabilitation. And rehabilitation as a principle says people can change. And we must offer an opportunity for people to change. We must offer some hope. What a great thing to work in a service where we can talk about offering hope to people, believing that people's lives can change. There's a wonderful offender group called Use a Voice, which is ex-offenders. And they talk about as their strap line, only offenders can stop re-offending. Only individuals can make that choice not to offend. But we can help. We can help to do that. And we need support from the wider community if that's going to be successful. Because it doesn't happen in prison. Prison's a very false world, a very enclosed world. But people in prison go back into communities. They live with you and your neighbours. And it's how communities respond to them that really makes the difference. And we as Christians have got to live that, accepting that people who do bad things, make bad choices, have to actually suffer the consequences of those. But his grace is sufficient. And people can change. People do change. People can lead good and useful lives, as we say. People can be transformed, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And actually, for victims themselves, helping people to understand what they've done and helping them to change and supporting them to do so means fewer people get hurt. His grace is sufficient. Daniela prayed for Indonesia. I heard a story on the radio last week about that terrible tsunami and all the destruction that it caused. And one of the things that happened was the prisoners were all let out of the prisons because the tsunami was coming. They would have been dead, effectively. So they were let out of the prisons, all ran away. And then the tsunami subsided and the prisoners were making their way back, but not all of them. And a prison officer was asked about it. And he was, said, he, we're giving them some time. We're giving them a few days, he said. They're prisoners, he said. But they're still our brothers, suffering like the rest of us. They still have families. They still have children. They have people who depend on them. That story of Luke, do you know, you are very, very likely, if you have a parent in prison, to end up in the criminal justice system. It's a terribly, more than 50% of people with a parent in prison end up in the criminal justice system. We need, as a society, to recognize that those who breach our rules have both to accept the outcome, but also have potential to change. And our society is built on Christian principles. That's why rehabilitation is a part of what we do. And remember that all of us 
have fallen short of God's glory. And that God's grace is great enough for me and for everyone. So that every one of us through Jesus Christ can approach the throne of grace with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace through him. Amen.